Hello everyone and welcome to Changing Conversations with me, Billy Burke. And me, Sarah Philp. We're really glad you've joined us on this podcast. This podcast is all about changing conversation. Conversation is one of the oldest ways to nurture the conditions for growth and improvement. We come alive when we talk about what's important to us and it's this that has the potential to guide us into new and different ways of being and offer the potential for great things. In this podcast, we want to explore the big questions and the small questions. It's a place for thinking and conversations that hold the potential for change. You will hear from us as well as some of our guests. We would love to hear from you and for you to get involved. You can also follow us on Twitter at Changing Conversations. In this conversation, which is Probably one of our more free-flowing conversations. Um, I chat to a friend and colleague, Rosie Arthy, who is a coach um, and works mostly with people with neurodiversity. And we take the time in this conversation to just explore various elements of what what that means, um, what that means perhaps to those who have a diagnosis to those who are considering exploring a possible diagnosis and how we can engage and support um, those around us who may be in that position. Um, Rosie shares really openly and honestly about her journey, her experiences um, and how she's felt at various times in her life and how our life cycle impacts with with that as well. Rosie, it's lovely to see you. I'm good to chat to you. How are you today? Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Excited to be here. Good. Thank you. Um, So you and I have connected probably for a couple of years now um, through coaching primarily, although we both also bumped into each other at the Scottish Learning Festival I happen to remember a few years yeah ago. we did so yeah I think it's more than a couple of years isn't it because yeah. it's pre-covid so yeah. yeah yeah um so so I know plenty about you and what you do but many of our listeners uh, won't so can you just say a little bit about who you are and what you do Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a coach and a facilitator specialising in neurodiversity. Um, I've been coaching, uh, so I did my coach training in 2019. Uh, prior to that, the reason we met at the Learning Festival was mm-hmm. I used to work in museum education. So um, I also have quite a mixed background of various things I've done. Um, I won't go into all of that. I'll just do the (laughs) last few years. So, yeah, museum education. Then I after having some coaching, I trained as a coach. And then around a similar time, I got um, an ADHD diagnosis. And at the time of diagnosis, um, that was something quite personal that I didn't want to share. and, And my coaching was kind of separate to that. But just over time, those two parts of my life have kind of converged and now you know I spend um, probably 98% of my time coaching um, neurodivergent people yeah Mm, yeah so you've already used the term neurodivergent neurodiversity Um, for those who maybe aren't clear what that means what Mm -hmm. does it mean 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a word that is definitely sort of banded around all the time now. Um, and I imagine especially, you know, in the education sphere, it's becoming much more prominent. Um, and so the term neurodiversity was coined by a woman called Judy Singer in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. Judy Singer herself um, is autistic. And um, she has written a book, I've actually got it here with me, Neurodiversity, The Birth of an Idea. And basically she um, kind of, it's it's quite hard to encapsulate in words, but the idea is, you know, there is these um, biological differences and the way that we kind of um, experience the world. So the way we think, the way we feel, our senses um, and so this is the idea of neurodiversity that we're all kind of perhaps um, experiencing it in slightly different ways. And obviously that's going to have an impact on, on our experience of the world um, our experience of um, kind of the workplace, of, of school, of social environments and that kind of thing. Um, so that's the idea behind neurodiversity. And very much she, in the book, she kind of talks about being similar to, you know, biodiversity in the world of nature and perhaps this idea of generalist species and specialist species. And like the idea of a specialist species might be one that's maybe more sensitive to its environment, that kind of thing. Whereas a generalist species, you know, whatever changes are happening, they're able to kind of go with it. Mm. Um, I've just finished listening um, on Audible, although I'm sure other audiobook formats are available. <laughs> um, but I've just finished listening to Divergent Mind by uh, Janara Nirenberg. I haven't read that. I'm writing it I, down. Yeah, I think it's just come out fairly recently. I think it's quite a new one. Um, and obviously it's around neurodiversity and she talks about, in particular, she talks about um, autistic spectrum disorder, autism, uh, ADHD, and also highly, high HSP, highly sensitive mm -hmm. people. People, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Suddenly doubted the P there. Yeah. Um, and just kind of talks through how that might show up in your life, in your work, in your relationships and gives yeah. quite quite nice examples of what that might be like or or examples of how people have kind of come about this awareness that there might be something different um in some way for them mm -hmm. and I suppose one of the things that she talks about is around kind of assumptions and misunderstandings mm -hmm. and how we can sometimes fall into the trap of there's an there's ADHD and therefore everybody is mm. in some way. Is do you think that's a, a common misunderstanding? Do you think it's a, a common assumption, perhaps? So the assumption that you know ADHD equals this. Yeah. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that you know misunderstanding often um, is within the individual themselves <laughs> that has maybe mm -hmm. received that diagnosis. So. Um, Yes, I think there's so many assumptions and misunderstandings. And I think really we're, you know, we're all still as a kind of species working out what it means. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, there's, uh, as I say, sometimes those assumptions can be those internal ones and misunderstandings. And I, and I know, you know, you mentioned just in some of the kind of emails we had beforehand mm -hmm. around this, this shame piece. And I think this yeah. very much attaches to that. And I know very much when I got my diagnosis, 
I was like, I knew there was something wrong with me. That was kind of like, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of feeling um, and that kind of, you know, and then I was obviously looking back at my previous experiences at school, like you say, life, work, relationship, school, yeah. like looking back and seeing that in a different lens. And often it was very much in a lens of, yeah, I, there, I, there was something wrong with me, I, you know, and, and shame comes then with that. Yeah. Um, so... And and I guess where I'm going with that is this idea that um, if you have ADHD, you are, you know, I'm, I'm kind of doing a little box sign with my hands. Mm-hmm. You're like that. Yeah. But actually, you know, one of the privileges I have as a coach and speaking to so many different people who have had, you know, ADHD, um, autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, you know, or, you know, yeah. any kind of um, sort of diagnoses, if, you know, everyone is still unique within that. And I think yeah. that that's that's something that's really important to remember and I think you know through coaching through me receiving coaching and and doing coaching with others I really hope that part of that experience is really sort of you know kind of moving away from that shame piece and really you know starting to understand yourself a bit better and you know having that compassion for your experiences yeah one of the one of the other things that she mentions in the book is that um it, it, the um, uh, I won't get this completely right, but what what I took from it was mm-hmm. that men tend to be diagnosed more easily and more quickly mm-hmm. than women. And I I I don't know. I wonder if I suppose I'm aware that I have a number of conversations, and they do happen to be with women who who do wonder if if there may be something in the ADHD sphere that relates to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it's just got me thinking about, you know, is there something that we do as society or as women that actually we we mask? She talks quite a lot about masking mm-hmm. um, how we're feeling or masking what's going on for us. And actually, yeah, I, mean, I suppose I'm interested in your experiences. Does, is that something that kind of resonates with with the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say, you know, for for all women, you know, we're raised in our society in a certain way. Um, I mean, I feel perhaps that's changing now with later generations. But if we're thinking about, you know, our generation of women, absolutely, that sort of, um, yeah, the expectation of the way you should behave. And I I remember when I think back to my childhood, um, I really did uh, struggle with managing my emotions in lots Mm -hmm. of ways um you know and I can remember sort of like even now just thinking about it like with sort of like it's almost quite hard to remember back particular experiences where you know I really struggled um to manage my emotions um as a child and as a teenager and um was and felt shame because of that because you know I wasn't behaving the way was kind of expected of me And, and I think that that led to me withdrawing, becoming mm-hmm. becoming more insular because I sometimes felt like, you know, even in talking about it, I'm almost like ashamed to say what the things were, you know, because yeah. it's like, you know, but so how to manage my anger, for example, or, you know, having tantrums and all those kind of things. And so I, I think I respond to that by going inwards because I felt like I was too my emotions were too much to handle and I wasn't really sure how to handle them myself so I just sort of yeah went in and I think and I think that idea of you know maybe boys being diagnosed more earlier is that you know boys are expected to be boisterous and you know 
louder and interestingly my son's not like that at all but yeah <laughs> I mean, we have these expectations yeah. don't we yeah. like these gendered ideas so yeah yeah um and that process of kind of I guess what you've described is that sense of awareness for you that there was something to explore um mm. and I guess for for anybody who's listening or anybody out there who might be thinking you know is this something that relates to me is this something I should explore and I always think the word should is a mm. is a tricky one as well because there is in a way there's no should it's just you may want to or you yeah. may feel you need to but I guess it part of it comes from that sense of awareness and understanding ourselves and understanding that kind of need for something maybe mm-hmm. um do you have any I was going to say words of wisdom but advice <laughs> or thoughts or reflections for anybody who's in that process of thinking yeah will I explore a diagnosis will I have that take that conversation further mm. yeah I mean I think you know what am I I think it's probably going to be thoughts and reflections actually yeah. rather than like words of wisdom so let's see, <laughs> see what comes out but yeah I mean I think that very much you know um it's obviously a really personal choice yeah. to make and so speaking from my personal experience um you know initially I got great relief from the mm-hmm. diagnosis um kind of struggled on and off in different periods of my life with really anxiety and depression I would say and that's often yeah. kind of co-occurs with ADHD yeah. with autism um and often that anxiety and depression is you know part of that is that feeling of not not being able to do things perhaps the way you you think you should again yeah. <laughs> um, or the way that you see others doing or you find certain things that others seem to find easy difficult whatever it might be so you know key periods in my life I would say teenage years becoming a mom and now as I'm sure we'll touch upon like <laughs> menopause and, and middle age yeah. you know, mid- middle life anxiety and depression is something that has come with those periods mm-hmm. for me so having some sort of better understanding of that um was a relief and you know that's kind of like oh there is a reason I'm not just um useless (laughs) there's a reason I find these things more difficult and that was you know a relief in itself um but I think that then the tricky bit comes with you know you talked earlier about kind of the assumptions and the misunderstandings perhaps the stereotypes and, and the shame that maybe you know sharing that with others um then you know then it brings other conversations and how do you manage that and you know very much to begin with I told my husband and a couple of friends and I didn't you know I did have shame about it I did feel like it wasn't very understood you know even now as more and more people um are seeking a diagnosis there's you know I'm sort of often aware of people saying oh well we're all a little bit ADHD or Mm -hmm. you know those kind of things that can be dismissive of you know, someone's, you know, to get to that point that you're seeking a diagnosis, I I think, you know, it's something that has, um, and as you go for the diagnosis, you have to demonstrate that it's impacted you for your whole life. It's not just, you know, sometimes I forget things or, um, (laughs) you know, because we Mm -hmm. all do, because we're all still humans and it's it's versions of the normal human experience. Um, So yeah, there's that kind of relief piece. Um, Then there's, you know, what do I do with this information? You know, the shame starting to come in. Um, And then 
what else did I want to say about that? You know, sometimes then it enables you to access the support you might need, you know, whether that is trying medication. For me, I did try um, ADHD medication. Um, it didn't sit right with me. And I actually now take a, a low dose of um, antidepressants, which really helps with my anxiety, which was what the, was probably the most debilitating thing, um, yeah. which had seemed to ramp up due to my age as well, which again, so... Um, and I think sometimes something else that can really happen is actually just having a vocabulary to sort of um, mm. speak with yourself, you know, to be more compassionate and understanding with yourself and your internal experience. Maybe when you're struggling with something, I find it easier now to communicate with my partner when, you know, he might have, you know, got frustrated with me or, you know, not understanding me. I, I've now got, you know, a better understanding of myself and vocabulary. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you said you said something there about that bit around telling people mm. and I guess I you know sometimes people worry about what how will they tell their employer mm. or their colleagues for for example um, and I suppose there's a two-way part to that isn't there there's the the person sharing the information but then there's also the people receiving the information so mm. I guess there's there's a bit about deciding what's right for you individually, perhaps, but then yeah. also um, in our organisations, in our workplaces, in our in, in our schools, how are how are we kind of setting up setting ourselves up well to support people and to hear people when mm -hmm. when they are in those situations? Mm, absolutely. And I mean, I think I would say, first of all, just like you've just sort of touched upon there, you don't have to tell anyone, you know. Um, and the only reason I ended up telling people was because it became the work that I was doing. And so it almost made it easier for me to talk about because, you know, um, yeah, that's now what I'm talking about generally. <laughs> but in terms of in the workplace, I think that um, you know, it's a really important distinction that you make there between the individual and whether they decide to disclose and what that's like. But also then if you are on the other end of, re of receiving that disclosure. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's easy to assume that, well, most people would be sort of like understanding of someone sharing that information with them. But, you know, as a coach, coaching, I do a lot of access to work coaching, which is a government funded scheme. Um, and I can talk more about that if it's helpful. But um, actually, there's, you know, a couple of people who I have had who have had really, really, really negative experiences of sharing this information with their manager. Um, and... So I think that, you know, there's, there is things like neurodiversity awareness training and that kind of thing. But I think that really for me, um, and I'm sure you've talked about this in one of your, one of your conversations before, but that kind of the role of coaching and the role of listening and the role of being present, you know, as a manager and just hearing rather than, because often, you know, underneath that label or that disclosure, there's actually, you know, real experiences and challenges. So really, I think the key is, okay, what are the, what, what are the challenges mm. that you're experiencing and what can we do about those rather than, okay, you have ADHD, I'll just pull up my ADHD book and it'll tell me what I need to do for you. So yeah. really probably having a conversation and, and listening and just hearing what those challenges are and not needing to fix them instantly, but just, you know, yeah. having a, a slightly different, you know, perspective through which to to maybe just think about the conversations that you're having. Yeah. Um. You, you said there as well, you know, 
those flippant comments or phrases that people might use like oh well we're all a little bit ADHD mm. or but actually those things can become quite big for somebody mm. who is considering or you know exploring a diagnosis or perhaps has a is new to that or hasn't shared that yet um and I guess it's like so many things it's just about you know language is so powerful and how we use it is really powerful and it's that awareness of what we say mm. can have a significant effect on on mm. other people I guess mm. and I do you know there's one client I've got at the moment that is really struggling with that um you know that I guess that stigma and misunderstanding and yeah. you know how she perceives of herself in in relation to perhaps those sort of types of comments and you know it can be really it can be really disabling for people yeah um and I don't I don't know and I don't know if you know if if there's an is there an increased awareness of neurodiversity in adults Mm -hmm. (laughs) um is there an increase therefore connected to that or not connected to that in assessment and diagnosis mm-hmm. is it just an increased awareness of ourselves and what's going on for ourselves and that we're talking about it is it just that I'm happening to talk to more people about it but it does feel to me in the last few years it feels like it's becoming more a part of a narrative a conversation that I'm having with people than I've ever had before and I don't I I don't know if that's real or imagined but mm. on my part. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely would agree with you. And I think it's a bit of everything. I mean, I think that, you know, so I mentioned my son earlier and my son, um, you know, has dyslexia and dyspraxia. And what I'm often finding is, and especially if I do tr- group training, that often um, parents have gone through an experience with their child that has made them think, oh well I was like that as a child and you know that was just you know dismissed as this or I was just told this or treated like this or whatever and I just had to get on with it um so I think that there is definitely you know as our understanding develops and as you know the next generation we're seeing you know how it's impacting them and the way we parent is different now all those kind of things Mm -hmm. so I think there's, there's definitely an increase in awareness um and understanding Um, And I think, you know, there aren't, I maybe read like a headline or something that, you know, does demonstrate that there is an increase in people um, going for a diagnosis. So I don't have like stats to my fingertips, but definitely I think that your, your sense and feeling is definitely borne out in, you know, and, you know, also borne out on the waiting list. There's huge waiting lists to get diagnosed. Um, And uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've also something else that's also coming up more and more in conversations that I'm having um, is around, I guess, just not just, but the impact of the the world we're living in at the moment. Um, And we've we've touched on it a few times in different podcast episodes, actually, the work of Johan Hari and Stolen Focus. Oh, I don't um, know that one. Yeah. Oh, actually, I think I do. Yeah. Where he's yeah. kind of saying there isn't ADHD. It's just you know we're all becoming yeah. Yeah, more distracted. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he talks about yeah the the challenge that we we have on a daily basis with mm-hmm. different things competing for our kind of attention and also the pace that w- at which the world goes yeah. at the fact that um just the way the world is working now and technology and various factors kind of 
um, coming together, we, mm -hmm. we have a tendency to go across things at a surface level, but really do we take the time to go deep? Mm -hmm. you know, really do we really try to understand it? understand something in depth we try to skim across the surface of everything mm. um he also talks about you know reading books for example is one of those things that has we do less and less and we find ways of doing it that's quicker and faster and you know whether it's listening to audible or podcasts instead of reading a book and it's just this whole kind of you know the way the world is I suppose in in some ways and that's coming up for me more and more in conversations with people that are finding it difficult to kind of it's a challenge to manage all of that manage the pace of that yeah absolutely and um I I agree in, on one level with all of that I think the way um we live our lives now um you know isn't a match with what it really means to be a human you know okay. I think you know I was thinking back to when I first started working in the world of work and you know we used fax machines um <laughs> and email was just coming in and you yeah. know people didn't expect an answer all the time yeah. and even you know even this morning I was trying to you know get organized with the kids and get ready for school and like so everything needed doing and my daughter who's eight said to me you don't have to do everything right now <laughs> I was like oh <laughs> you know out of the mouths of babes um but yeah but interestingly something that as you were talking there that kind of idea of sort of you know we, we don't go deep we're skimming mm -hmm. over the surface of everything and then interestingly you know one of the things that um ADHD and autism enable people to do is to, is to really focus on something yeah. and go really deep yeah. um an area of special passion or focus or interest so I think it's uh, you know I haven't read the book um but I think that just because our the way we live has changed Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that that neurodiversity isn't yeah. there does that make sense so I think Absolutely. that actually the way the way we live has um made it a lot harder for people yeah. to perhaps process in certain ways um yeah. and actually means that often perhaps in the past you know there's so many um sort of like what do you call it kind of when people just say uh I can't think of the word but like you know people say Einstein had ADHD and people you know people often say you know like maybe Mozart and like you know great yeah. thinkers or and you know they had the like, they didn't have constant television or internet or distractions they actually had the time and the environment that enabled them to really go deep and yeah. I think that's what's what's missing now I think I do think our environments impact our ability to sort of get the best out of ourselves whatever that might be yeah absolutely and and you're right that that's there there's that kind of wiser world perspective but then there's still the case that that neurodiversity, I find that really hard to say, <laughs> does still exist within yeah. that. But also yeah. then they must kind of sometimes clash against each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I really do. And I think that, you know, education is one of those kind of you know it's that thing that we all have to go through. Um, and, you know, my own experience of school was kind of negative obviously it was a different time and things have changed a lot since then but I mean um overall we we sort of have to fit between certain parameters you know to keep the government happy for their stats to kind of you know whatever whatever it might be 
Um, and there's something about that that ends up people coming out the other end feeling, a, not everybody, yeah. feeling crap about themselves and yeah. not really sure what they're good at. That's how I came out of school. Yeah. Um, and for me, there's something in there. I can't even remember now what you asked me, but there's something in there that like, uh, you know, I wonder, you know, lots of people feel that way. I'm not saying it's school's fault, but what is it about the way we set up our communities and our society and our structures that that leaves people feeling like they don't have something to contribute yes and I suppose it begs the question how do we make our our schools our workplaces the world we live more neuroinclusive yeah 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 <laughs> yeah it is absolutely and you know like I see it even with my daughter like the other morning so she's p4 like so obviously massively disrupted by covid last year was her mm -hmm. first full year at school so she already got that kind of like, oh, in and you know, I don't necessarily have to be at school all the time because at once I wasn't kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and she will often not want to go to school. And yesterday it was like, I don't even know why we have to learn. Who needs to learn how to spell anyway? And she really <laughs> struggles with her spelling. So uh -huh. already there's this feeling that, you know, she's super bright, super verb, you know, great ideas, but her spelling yeah. is atrocious and it's just uh -huh. always going to be atrocious. But that's something already she thinks about herself negatively yeah. just because like well we have to learn to spell and you've got to meet these targets in terms of spelling yeah yeah oh <laughs> <laughs> um so from p4 to menopause yeah yeah yeah, yeah. let's just do that in one fell swoop yeah um i guess you know as i said this is another thing that i'm hearing about mm. people are kind of reflecting on and i've had a number of conversations with with people both I guess with friends and and also in terms of of coaching and that kind of context. Um, and then funnily enough, uh, we both received the same email this morning mm, yeah. from the Balance app. Yeah. Um, and it's about ADHD and menopause. Mm -hmm. And I was really interested in the the, the statistic which says mm. that in the UK it's estimated that around one point five million individuals live with ADHD and many of these people do not have a formal diagnosis so mm -hmm. and for women with ADHD entering perimenopause and menopause mm -hmm. worse than their ADHD um and many others don't realize that they're neurodivergent until hormone changes yeah. at that stage and I guess that maybe also reflects what you said around kind of teenage years as yeah. well and, and becoming a mother I guess the hormones yeah. kind of would have been present in those times as well yeah actually what that does is it kind of brings issues and challenges to the fore that maybe they've struggled with for years yeah. but managed to you know to use the word we used earlier kind of mask yeah so it's a it's a really interesting an interesting one and we we did an episode on menopause actually and when we talked through what are the symptoms of menopause there was also that question around that sounds like modern day life <laughs> yeah. you know like yeah like, so how do we know when yeah how do we navigate that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about the how do we navigate it because I'm still trying to work that one, <laughs> work that one out myself. Um, but yeah, I think that there's something around, you know, it feels like modern day life. And I think that, again, in a similar way to what we were talking about before, it's like modern day life is exacerbating something that's already there. Yeah. So, you know, it's not that women aren't experiencing changes. Um, as we you know we're becoming more aware of them yeah. and 
um, you know, and modern life is, you know, exacerbating them. Yeah. Um, and I think as well, like something that I touched on before about, you know, and reflecting on, you know, when we were kids and, you know, you know, my mum, when I ask her about the menopause, will be like, well, I just had to get on with it, you know, and this idea that and yeah. I think as a species, as a generation, mm -hmm. we're realizing actually that's not always helpful just to like, mm -hmm. you know, get on with it actually if there's an area that we're we're struggling with sometimes you, you know we might need support with that um and then there might be help available and why would we suffer in silence just because um I don't know so um I've forgotten the question now actually sorry Sarah That's no it's fine we're we were just reflecting on that whole kind of menopause and mm. symptoms of menopause kind of mirroring yes. what it's like to be yeah. in this modern modern world yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's a, it's another case of, you know, a more extreme version of what yeah. it's like to be in the modern world. And I think that, you know, I mean, like I mentioned before, my my diagnosis came when I was about 40. And I really, you know, for me, it was marked by a real increase in in my anxiety, which seems to yeah. be the case for a lot of women. And in fact, I've heard like Davina McCall, who talks mm -hmm. a lot about menopause kind of saying she she was never an anxious person. Yeah. Whereas I have always been an anxious person. But yeah. even for her, as a non-anxious person, she noticed this change in her anxiety. So if you're already an anxious person, and you're becoming more anxious that can be yeah. quite frightening you know yeah. um and it, it was and uh, quite frightening in terms yeah. of you know yeah it was a difficult yeah. time and I guess there's there's that bit and you said it there you know it, it's about knowing what what it's always been like for you mm -hmm. so yes AD, um menopause may bring in a greater awareness of things because of the yeah. hormonal changes yeah. but it's also that connected with that awareness of what has it been like for you up until this point yeah um and to what extent is this different and unique yeah 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 absolutely and you know I think there's a piece in there isn't there about about trusting yourself and and yeah. your experience and and then I think that very much then is related to um, the response we get when we ask for help, perhaps when yeah. you go and see the GP <laughs> or, you know, I was very much, um, I'm 45 now and actually, you know, been dismissed quite a few times in going to the, to the GP about whether, you know, I would be, you know, experiencing the, the perimenopause symptoms. Um, but now I've turned 45, I think almost it seems like perhaps the guidance they're getting is changing. And at 45, they're saying, oh, yes, well, it could be, you know, it's likely that that this is. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, again, we're all different. And so what happens at 45? You know, it's a yeah. bit like puberty. Puberty happens at different times for different yeah. people. We don't say, oh, at 13 now, you know, yeah. so um yeah knowing that kind of trust that things are different for you but also knowing that you're going to get a response when you go to see someone for help that feels like you know um you're you're being heard and listened to that can be quite uh, that can just make it more difficult yeah I guess there's almost like a double whammy there isn't there um and maybe it's more than double I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> but there's you know if if you're a woman and you go to the doctor and you want to explore an ADHD assessment with the possibility of diagnosis you're likely at the moment to get that response of well you you know waiting lists are too long yeah. or 
it's an, this is another person to add to an already overwhelmed yeah. waiting list scenario yeah. likewise if you go for that with that and you're off a certain age yeah. or you go because of perimenopause you're likely to get although we believe hope the situation is improving slightly in terms of mm -hmm. the response there is also many stories of people getting a kind of fairly dismissive or unhelpful not really feeling listened to kind of response yeah. so if you were if you were bringing both of those things yeah then that I guess yeah shame and vulnerability is bound to come up a fair bit there as well isn't it yeah absolutely and I think that you know obviously if you're talking about ADHD and menopause you're talking about you know um a, you know it's going to be women experiencing yeah. experiencing that um and as we know there's so much research about um you know kind of research medical research is always gen gen there's been a bias towards the male experience yeah. so we have so little evidence um or research that re re that relates to the female yeah. experience yeah and and I think I talked about this in the menopause episode that we did as well but the, the I think it was last year or it might have been early this year the Scottish government's report on female health and the kind of uh, you know in reading it I was quite shocked at the statistics and quite shocked at kind of where we're at with that and you think gosh I really thought we would have been further on you know in terms of for example I think one of the things in there or certainly I've read somewhere is that GPs get about half an hour input on menopause and you're like well probably about 50% of the population yeah. Yeah. will experience it so surely yeah. it's worth more than half an hour yeah. um and of course, we we know, thanks in many ways to Davina McCall, who you've already, yeah. you know, you know, a stock response is to is to offer, you know, antidepressant medication and, and things. And actually, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot in there, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think as well, there's the, you know, there's that there's that idea of treating, you know, one thing with one thing, whereas, you know, like you say, well, first stop is antidepressants. I already mentioned I'm on antidepressants yeah. and it has helped me, but there's many other symptoms yeah. that, you know, it's not helping with. Yeah. So um, that kind of ability to have a conversation where you feel heard and that the individual is responding to your personal sort of collection of symptoms, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess, what we come back to then in many ways is what we often come back to which is we all just want to be seen and heard mm -hmm. and no matter what the the thing is yeah you know if we are sharing something we want to be seen and heard and if yeah. if we are the receivers of that or we're we're a colleague of that then it's important to think about how are you enabling that person to be seen and heard or how are you yeah. hearing and seeing seeing them and really listening to what people know and understand of their own experience as opposed to yeah what the book says absolutely and I think that you know that comes back to something I said earlier sometimes you know as a manager um we can we can feel that pressure to have some answers you know seeing mm. and hearing that person sometimes might feel like it's not enough like you need to do more but actually yeah. I really do believe that that is you know like the core of it all because until you've seen and heard like really heard what yeah. that is saying there's not really 
you know they're not asking to be fixed yeah. <laughs> um so you know like I said before those kind of you know understanding what the challenges are come from that seeing and that hearing and that you know listening and once you've got a better understanding of the challenges then you can start to think about okay well what can you know how can we manage this for you um yeah. and it becomes then a kind of you know what I love about coaching and that collaboration you know and it, it becomes something you're you know because often people and a lot of clients come to me saying, you know, they've got a really supportive workplace and the workplace is like, just tell us what you need. And yeah. they're like, I don't know what I need. You know, this is kind of new information for me. I don't know what I need. And sometimes a lot of the work I'm doing is helping them work out what they need. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess what what we need in some of that is a trusting relationship with someone, yeah. Yeah. whether that's someone in our workplace or whether that's someone like your yourself but to have that trusting relationship to be able to explore those things to work it out yeah absolutely I think and I think especially you know anecdotally in my in my the, the sessions I've had had I, I do believe there's something in neurodivergent minds that really processes things externally so whether that's by speaking mm. things drawing things writing it out there's something of that process of processing what we think and feel that needs to be done externally mm -hmm. um and I think that yeah it doesn't have to be someone you work with you know it doesn't have to be your manager sometimes that you know that's that, that wouldn't be the right place to do that but yeah. yeah having um you know whether it's with a coach um you know I've been one of my ideas and this is like a typical ADHD kind of you know kind of uh stereotype is that you know we'll have lots of ideas and I have lots of ideas and then I struggle to bring them to fruition that's why why it's important to work together as teams but anyway that's a whole other point um yeah I really would love to create some sort of environment where people you know specifically probably more likely ADHD women can you know have some of these conversations and, and share experiences and because I think that so much comes from that kind of sharing in a safe in a safe place where you can sort of make yeah. sense of what you're feeling perhaps in hearing others experiences you get sort of language for your for your experience that maybe you don't have before but also you know ideas of what's helped for someone else that that can be it can be really valuable yeah absolutely it's that comes back to being seen and heard again yeah totally <laughs> yeah so simple but why is it so difficult because <laughs> we're all going so quickly <laughs> yeah that's true it's true we don't you know and I, I think that is a really valid point because some you know I mentioned at the very beginning you know that idea of generalist versus specialist and being you know specialist species and being more sensitive to their environment yeah. you know we're all affected by change but yeah you know the way our you know society and culture is is not allowing that time for for anybody to sort of you know have that moment but it impacts some people more more deeply yeah. I think yeah definitely Rosie thank you I've loved this conversation we've yeah we normally structure our um conversations around four key themes and questions but you've been very good and let me just go all over the place and wherever I kind of <laughs> fancied so thank you for that oh, that's, I love working like that <laughs> so it's good <laughs> no I really I really enjoyed it and actually it's been it's been nice for me to be able to kind of reflect on some of the, the things that come up in conversations I have as well and for us to to kind of um share that be open with that and reflect on that but also 
want to thank you for your honesty and your openness in this conversation as well. And I know that people listening will will feel will feel seen and heard as a result of seeing and well not seeing but hearing your story. <laughs> thank, you, <laughs> so, thank you. So thank you. But before you go, we have two questions we want to finish off with. And the first question is, what are you reading at the moment? Mm. So, yeah, you did provide me with these questions in advance. And I had sort of like a frantic moment where, you know, <laughs> you can't see behind me, but I do have lots of books. And by my bed, I've got a pile that's probably a foot high. And I also have about five or six books on my desk as well. <laughs> so I'm always reading several things at once. Uh -huh. I tend to like, tend to have a fiction and a non-fiction yeah. on go so I've just finished the Bass Rock by Evie Wilde mm -hmm. um so um she's based it, it's uh based around North Berwick and, and yeah. the Bass Rock so that's kind of local to me so I've just finished reading that one and I picked up Queenie um I really love to go to the charity shops and find mm -hmm. books in the charity shop so I don't know if, I think it's called Queenie I picked that one up I haven't started reading that so that's next on my kind of um personal fiction thing yeah. and in terms of kind of uh other books and the one I've got open on my desk at the moment is 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman time management yeah for mortal so I'm kind of through that and I also have got permission to feel on my desk oh, yeah. um so I mean and I've also got several others so <laughs> there's always something on the go and I tend to uh, yeah, I do tend to skim non-fiction books and then, you know, pick out key bits. But that's just the way my mind works. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, your your non-fiction ones are both on my on my bookshelf as well. So, are they? <laughs> yeah, in good company. <laughs> good company. Um, and lastly, do you have a quote or a message that you would like to leave our listeners with? Mm. So interestingly, one came to me today. So there's two that I have. One mm -hmm. has been something that um, helped me through periods of um, feeling like uh, I didn't know what I was doing and giving mm -hmm. up on things, not sticking with anything. And that is nothing is wasted. So this idea that, you know, everything, you know, will ultimately have a purpose in the end, even if at the time we can't see it or know what it might be. So yeah, nothing is wasted. But also I think there's a, it's another well-known quote. It's part of a bigger quote. and I can't remember the bigger quote um but it's like it's about living the questions so I don't okay. know if you I think it's I, I would maybe have to find it and maybe send it to you afterwards okay. um but just you know we often have lots of especially in the things we're talking about here with like you know menopause and you yeah. know, like what should I do we often have lots of kind of uncertainty and and questions and we want the answers to those questions but um some it, the way I took this quote about living the questions is very much about allowing yourself to be in that space where where you don't where you don't know um yeah so I really like that. Mm, I like both of those, actually. I think there's something very powerful in that idea that nothing is wasted um, because it can often feel like there's a lot of pressure on things. Um, mm. Actually, nothing yeah. is wasted kind of gives a bit of freedom to that. Um, and absolutely, I think, again, the world we live in just now, we're going to have to get used to living with the questions and not the answers. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely both very very relevant I'm sure will also make people think so once mm. again thank you Rosie it's been a pleasure yeah my it was being great to talk to you too Sarah thanks for having me no problem
Thank you for listening, folks. We really value you taking the time and space to join us, and we hope that you take something positive from it. We'd love to hear your reflections, so please get involved via Twitter or contact us directly by email. Thanks again, stay safe, and take good care.